Wednesday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to have you guys back for another day. Maybe you guys can help me contain this fire hose of news. Man, it's it when it uh, when it comes out fast like this, it is hard to contain. But uh, we've got a lot to get to today. Um, got to talk about the Timberwolves winning over um, Oklahoma City on Tuesday. One of a you know battle between two of the best teams record wise in the West this year. The Wild got a win in their first game um, under new head coach John Hines. I got some thoughts on that. We'll get to some Viking stuff here a little bit later, our usual film review, our poetry, but also talking about what's now a quarterback controversy. It's got to be, right? Who's going to start? I don't know if it's, you know, controversy suggests that there's going to be some sort of, you know, uh, people up in arms about it. But, you know, there, there, there could be controversy, at least in the sense that we don't know right now who is going to start the next game at quarterback for the Vikings. And it very well might not be Josh Dobbs. I'm just kind of parsing what uh, what Kevin O'Connell said on Monday, and I'll get to that more in a little bit. But I'm kind of parsing that. I'm thinking they might they might make a switch. I'm still not sure. My my instinct says they should still stick with Dobbs, but we'll see. Um, but controversy nonetheless, in that we don't know who is going to play for the Vikings when they resume play in a couple weeks in Las Vegas. First, though, what did I miss? I got to start with the Gophers because, man, what a what a bunch of news coming out of Gopher football in these last couple days. Starting quarterback Ethan Kalikmanis announces on Tuesday on X, formerly Twitter, that he is entering the transfer portal. Now, Kalikmanis was a sophomore, a third-year sophomore this year for the Gophers. Started every game, like I said, all 12 games struggled with his consistency certainly only completed 53.1 percent of his passes different games he looked you know like one of the better quarterbacks in the Big Ten at times other times he looked like one of the worst quarterbacks in the Big Ten at times that consistency will drive coaches crazy and I'll get to that a little bit more with Vikings thoughts here in a little while as well but he enters the portal another quarterback for the Gophers follows him into the portal the same day, same day on yesterday, Drew Viado, true freshman from Michigan, three-star recruit out of Michigan, also in the transfer portal. Cole Kramer, their veteran quarterback, um, guy with one year of eligibility left, he might go to the portal at some point, too. Um, he's kind of showing some signs that this might have been his last year with the Gophers, although you wonder if maybe he will at least stick around to quarterback them in the bowl game because... Otherwise, the only quarterback left on the roster, I believe, would be freshman walk-on Max Schickenjanski. So that's where we are with the quarterbacks now. But this all came after, of course, Monday when um, New Hampshire quarterback uh, Max Brosmer, junior from New Hampshire, who was the top passer in FCS this past season. He also ran a little bit this year as well, had five rushing touchdowns, carried the ball 57 times, but he threw for almost 3,500 yards this year. He announced on social media that he has also received an offer, a scholarship offer from the Gophers. So it feels like that was the thing that kick-started this. Now, what does this all mean? Well, I, I would think that Brosmer is likely to wind up here. You, you kind of read the read the writing on the wall. You read that he's announcing that he got an offer. Right after that, you see all these other players you know, saying, hey, I'm, I'm out of here. Randy Johnson reporting in his Star Tribune story today, according to a source with knowledge of the situation, reading straight from his story, Coach P.J. Fleck met with the Gophers quarterbacks and would not fully guarantee who the starter would be in the 2024 season. 
Fleck told the group he would look into the transfer portal for competition heading into next year. Now, when you go into the portal, it doesn't mean you are for sure gone. It means you are likely gone, though, right? Um, you can come out of the portal and stay with your team, but usually when you go into the transfer portal, as we've seen you know, since, the, you know, since it, this became a thing in, in the last few years, usually a player is going to go somewhere else. So this is really interesting because we came into the season thinking Calic Manis was this long-term answer for the Gophers for Fleck, replacing Tanner Morgan, who has been here the bulk of P.J. Fleck's coaching career. I went back and looked at it. I was curious. Um, the quarterback record when the, when the Gophers do not have Tanner Morgan is not great. Tanner Morgan made 47 career starts here in Minnesota. The vast majority of P.J. Fleck's tenure here. Gophers were 33-14 and 14 in the 47 games that Tanner Morgan started under P.J. Fleck. They are 16-20 in all other games started by any other quarterback aside from Tanner Morgan. And I kind of jokingly will say this. Um, I don't mean to speak ill of P.J. Fleck and his quarterbacks, especially on P.J. Fleck's birthday, turns 43 today, I noticed in the course of researching this segment. But uh, it's not been great. We've, we've had a lot of different guys come and go, guys that they thought were going to be program changers or at least guys that could hold down that role for a while. Looking back at kind of the history of this, Connor Rhoda, Demry Croft, Zach Anikstead. You remember these names? Seth Green was supposed to be the savior at one point. He ended up being a productive player but more of a wildcat quarterback did not become that starter when he was such a highly recruited player out of high school. Vic Veramontes was reminded of that name. Royce and I were struggling to come up with that name. I think it was Money Banks on Twitter that that reminded me of what his name was. He was that junior college transfer. They tried they they brought him in, you know, early in Flex tenure. They thought he might be the answer. He didn't even he didn't even make it. I don't think he made it through like a full offseason before he was gone or at least he never played the quarterback position. Then of course now Ethan Calicmanis, Cole Kramer, guys like that. They just didn't, they've never really been able to, you know, get to that next level with the quarterback aside from the really good play they got from Tanner Morgan in 2019 and the, the okay play they got from him in other years, especially the end of 2018, a good part of 2021. You know, he was playing pretty well in 2022, and that was surprised me too. I didn't realize, I went back and looked. Tanner Morgan by far had the better numbers. Um, in 2022 than Ethan Manis. We got excited about Manis at the end of the year, especially when he beat Wisconsin, but uh, Tanner Morgan was by far their better quarterback a year ago. So just a, a, a legacy of mediocrity when Tanner Morgan doesn't start. And they, they got to get this position right, though. I think he's on a quest to do that. We'll see if this New Hampshire quarterback is the solution Seems though like there is a there's a big change going on here with this program. He's evaluating everything. When you go five and seven, like he said, you have to take a hard look at everything. You got to imagine they're going to go harder at the portal. They're looking at looking at all these other teams that have had success with quarterbacks, especially in the portal. That's going to be a different approach for them. It's not really how they've been built in the past, but maybe it's how they need to be built going forward. Speaking of changes, Wild win their first game under new head coach John Hines, snapping that seven-game losing streak that led to Dean Evison's dismissal. So Monday, Evison's gone. Hines comes right in. Tuesday, they play a game right away. There's all sorts of media availability. Loved Royce's column. He talked to uh, Bruce Boudreaux and just talking about how 
know, the, the nature of the business in the NHL. Go give that a read if you want to. But it was interesting after the game, just like looking at some of the comments, especially on Instagram. And I know social media is a bad place to go sometimes to get a full spectrum of what people are really thinking. But it seems like a lot of a lot of fans are still upset that Everson got let go, that they think they think he got a raw deal. And, you know, I agree with them to a certain degree. This wasn't his fault. And I think even Bill Guerin would say this wasn't Dean Evison's fault. They just needed kind of a change for the sake of change sometimes, a message wearing thin. But he had a lot of fans on social media saying, hey, uh, bring back Evison. This wasn't this. They didn't win because of Hines. So why why are they suddenly you know why are they suddenly playing well again? Um, someone called Hines mid. <laughs> that was oh, that, that pejorative just cracks me up sometimes. But listening to Hines after the game, it sounds like he's a no nonsense coach, and that he you know whatever he did, whether it was something he said, whether it was his presence, they certainly played their best game in a few weeks in beating St. Louis 3-1. Here was Hines after the game just talking about some of the very basic things that led to that victory. I thought our play without the puck um, was really strong in the checking game, but I also felt on the other side of that we were faster with the puck. I thought there was guys that were the, the, the speed off the puck was better, so the puck carrier had was forced to move the puck quicker so we get to a faster game. And I think the combination of that... Um, they were gone and they just kept doing it and doing it so credit to those guys you know having the opportunity to go to battle with them today i just you know you you can just see that there's lots of areas of the game where where it, it, it's a really good group i mean whether it's you know the hard areas of the game face-offs puck battles net front battles hard on pucks like they're there and then you see when there's a lot of skill and and and, and talent in the lineup and i think if we can just continue to build off of that being more connected how can we play a faster game with moving our feet but also moving the puck i think we can try to get you know continue to build on that to be faster than we were tonight now listen, the NHL of all the major leagues, now maybe baseball is up there too, but of all the major leagues, um, you need the least amount of like run-up time, right? Like these guys get to training camp and like a day or two later, they're playing preseason games. You bring in a new coach, he gives a little pep talk, he changed, he'll probably change systems a little bit, not just trying to do the same things over and over again. But this is a, this is a sport where a different voice can change a dynamic pretty quickly. You're not you know, learning an entirely new, you know, playbook like the NFL or something like that, or the NBA, where you've got a bunch of sets you're trying to run and trying to learn different chemistry. Yeah, there's going to be on ice chemistry, but sometimes a voice is all that is needed to affect change. So willing to give this another look, see if this team can get something going. Definitely a positive move in the right direction with a 3-1 win in that first game. Wolves won't be going to the NBA in-season tournament quarterfinals nudged out of that even with a good showing in their group but more importantly beat Oklahoma City 106-103 Anthony Edwards takes a nasty fall on a dunk attempt sounds like he was in good spirits after the game he didn't return after that um, beyond um, he shot his free throws and he was back on the bench for a bit but he looked like he was in discomfort reading Chris Hines story um, in today's Star Tribune but a big win for them. They're thirteen and four, um, and hopefully, and looks like he maybe avoided serious injury. You could see him missing a game or two, perhaps. Although he hates missing games, but they're thirteen and four. Oklahoma City is a good team. They were eleven and five coming in. Like this is a team that keeps stacking up good wins, beating teams when they're at full strength, beating teams when they're missing some guys. 
playing good team basketball and rallying without Ant in this game, rallying when they needed you know other people to give him a spark. Troy Brown Jr. does it in this game, has a you know bunch of points after Ant goes out, some key buckets in the fourth quarter, Target Center going big again. It's just I don't know. We keep we keep waiting for ah, is this team for real? You know, and it's still only 17 games into the season. But you keep stacking up wins like this. You keep thinking, okay, something's going on over here. Something's going on over here. They're building something. Rudy Gobert has been fantastic this year. Different people elevating their game at different times. That is the mark of a very good team. So we'll see. I mean, you know, try not to get too far ahead of ourselves here with how we think about this team but man 13 and 4 especially after that 1 and 2 start 12 and 2 since that 1 and 2 start playing like one of the best teams in the NBA and the record has followed Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan the passion the hope the anticipation that incomparable feeling of winning Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's break down the film. Andrew Kramer with me. Vikings lose 12-10. to 10. Andrew, Monday Night Football. We're talking now on Tuesday. Maybe the only good thing about Tuesday is that uh, Josh Dobbs can't throw an interception on Tuesday because there's not a game today. <laughs> Boy, that was bad. Huh? Yeah, four, yeah. four picks, um, and just about all of them, except for the one to Jordan Addison, were were really his fault. And the last one was uh, maybe the most egregious, where he just desperation tries to lob that and yeah. gets tipped by a Bears defensive lineman as if it was thrown to him. Um, yeah, you just I think you saw the the clock strike midnight back to a pumpkin. The whole thing because this is a guy who has not been with this team. Obviously you're seeing the lack of familiarity. Kevin O'Connell talked about it's basic stuff, like just throwing a ball in rhythm of our offense and understanding when you got to take, you know, one hitch and one kind of like, you know, shoulder thrust before throwing it to give the receiver the time to get out of the break. Um, Addison, the one he tipped into the interception, O'Connell put part of that on Dobbs. And so okay. we need to understand like, did that ball need to come out that quickly? Because and he said Addison needs to turn quicker, get his head around on the break, and be ready for it. But that didn't need to come out that quickly. And, the, and if you watch the playback, the protection was there. Dobbs took a roughing the passer penalty earlier on the same drive, so you saw his clock speed up a little bit. Um, I think the Bears did a great job of applying pressure. They threw a different kind of game plan at him to keep him in the pocket, um, and, and it worked. Yeah, get, let's get into that game plan because – that is, you know, if a team can shut down Dobbs and, you know, Denver probably started to do some of these things last game, too, and really limiting him in the second half of that game um, last Sunday night when the Vikings lost. But if if there's a blueprint now and other teams can copy it, that that's where you start to get concerned, like, OK, have they kind of figured out what, you know, how to how to stop this kind of magical ride? Yeah. And Dobbs Dobbs started, obviously, seven games uh, for the Cardinals, but. I don't know if he was making the kind of dynamic plays with his legs. I know he had three rushing touchdowns for them, but um, he wasn't making the kind of dynamic plays with his legs he made in the Falcons game for the Vikings and was making earlier in these games against the Saints as well. 
Um, and Vikings coaches talked about how, hey, we didn't really know this guy was as mobile uh, as as we found out. And I think defenses are learning now, too, because you're seeing Chicago play a five wide front, um, really line up man to man, which helps you get the mismatches in terms of creating one on ones in the pass rush. But what it also does, if you're disciplined is it forces Josh Dobbs to stay in the pocket and you're kind of creating the pocket for him and then trying to kind of suffocate him in it by collapsing him. And they did a good job of that. And Dobbs, you saw sometimes couldn't, couldn't find a lane to escape, especially in the second half. He had to step up and throw the ball, which is what Chicago wanted. And you're seeing that he doesn't have the strongest arm. He's not the most accurate and Chicago could break on a lot of these passes. And it wasn't just the, um, it wasn't just the uh, execution of the passes either. It was the decision making. It was, it was the first pick was to why uh, should have been a wide open corner route to Addison, but he ends up lofting this ball and decision that shouldn't have been made because as he throws drops back to throw, um, Jalen Johnson makes a great read and drops from his cover two zone. I mean that's a tough play even for Kirk Cousins to read on the fly and make. And Dobbs uh, did not do that either. So. I just think overall execution from decision-making from the head coach, like the bears, you know, put the Vikings in a tough spot and really nobody had answers. Yeah. And that, you know, that gets to O'Connell too. Like you said, like I, I got into him pretty good on Monday show, but now with kind of a nuanced 24 hours to kind of think back on it, what could he have done differently to help Dobbs in this game? Because it didn't seem like there were a lot of answers for what the bears were doing to him. Yeah, O'Connell lent, uh, lamented being too aggressive, um, which I think could be a, a few things, but he did specifically mention the first play where they do a play action deep shot to Addison, which Addison claims he caught. I talked to Addison after the game and he said, that was a catch. The ball never hit the ground. I said, well, why didn't you like push him to challenge it? And he said, I did, but we lined up so quickly that I didn't have much of a chance. And so, but O'Connell looking back on it without seeing the film, but at the podium had said, you know, maybe that's a, a spot where I shouldn't put Dobbs in a second and 10 that leads to a third and 10 that leads to a three and out. You know, it's it's those kinds of second guessing where he's maybe thinking we should have done things to be more conservative early on that would have given us ability to sustain drives. They had three plays in the first quarter. The Bears did the exact opposite. They, they choked the life out of the ball. I think they had uh, 10 minutes of possession in the first half. Uh, if not more than that, might have been 12. First quarter, um, yeah. Or first quarter, sorry. Um, and so Chicago just kept the Vikings on the sideline because of those few wasted opportunities in that first half from Minnesota. And then in the second half, there were stretches um, before one of Dobbs' interceptions in the third quarter. Madison had three straight runs. And the third run ends in a negative. That happens with this offense. O'Connell then went four straight passes into the interception. It's stuff like that where he, as a former quarterback, pass-heavy coach, understands the numbers of how much more efficient it generally is to throw. Uh, gets away from it, the run game, very quickly. And I thought that Chicago defense was susceptible to, to some big play runs. Madison was running particularly well in the second half, um, but all they did was lean on him in pass protection and kept asking Dobbs to do more. And that's the thing with O'Connell too, where I'm thinking it's not just the situational stuff. It's just the overall philosophy of why are you putting so much on this quarterback who's struggling that much? And he said, right, that he maybe thought about making a switch for was, was before he thought about switching to Mullins. Is it But before Dobbs actually led that touchdown drive that got him, you know, got him that temporary 10, nine lead. I mean, that the fact, the fact that he thought about it in game and wasn't 
committed to Dobbs. It doesn't have to be. They've got a bye week to think about all this, but it wasn't committed to who their starting quarterback is going forward. That That's an interesting piece because there was Dobbs mania for like two and a half games and now there isn't. Yeah, Kevin O'Connell said he's gonna he's gonna ponder a, a decision here. Uh, not, Does that mean Christian ponder? Sorry about that. That was actually an accident. Um, he, he said <laughs> he was gonna mull yeah a, a decision here on on what to do because I do think Nick Mullins gives them a decent shot. I know fans want to see more of Jaron Hall as well, um, but if if Kevin O'Connell wants to run this system and be that system coach where he's trying to find the quarterback to fit it. I think it's Nick Mullins right now, the guy who's had the most experience and all that. And you know, it's it's not a good sign for Josh Dobbs, but we need to take into context the four games. He said eight turnovers in four games. Yeah, that's a lot. They barely won the Falcons game. You know, obviously he just got there. Uh, they barely won the Saints game, and he had a couple turnovers. They he's had moments where he's escaped and been a magician, as coaches have said. You can't rely on that week to week. And I, and how much winning football has he actually played outside of being kind of an improv artist in backyard football? Um, that's not, as, as our colleague Ben Gessling said on our podcast yesterday, that's not how Kevin O'Connell wants to run his offense. He wants things on schedule. Generally, coaches want things as they're going to expect them to play out. It's really hard to do with a quarterback who just got here. You're seeing the timing is not there with the receivers. The timing is not there in the passing game uh, with the ball placement and everything. Um, I'm not shocked to hear O'Connell say he was considering a switch in game. Um, What kept Dobbs in the game was right after he was considering it came the touchdown drive um, to Hawkinson. So that's why they let him finish that game. But they got a bye week now to think about a a bigger change here moving forward. I still think they... I don't know what they're going to do. I I, I guess I'm, you know, I'll hesitate at this moment to say what they're going to do, but seems like it's a, it's just that's just such an interesting question because all all of their options right now have their own deficiencies. I mean, Mullins is a more or less a, a backup. He was a starter for a while, but he's been a backup. Hall is young. The only sample size we have of him is, is small. It was relatively encouraging before he took that hit. He he kind of kind of maybe blends Mullins and Dobbs a little bit in that he's got some escapability, but he's he's a little bit more familiar with the system than Dobbs. It's an interesting question because they've got five games left. They're presumably going to get Justin Jefferson back. Like there are some things working in their favor. All five of their final games are winnable, but but none of them are are layups. So it, it's going to be. I'm going to be really curious to see what he does there. I think the important thing too is just think about how they've been winning and losing games. It's it's turnovers. Yes. And I know Kirk was just as much of a part of that while he was healthy. And frankly, some of their veterans and key guys have been part of it as well. But I would have to just guess that at this point, this coaching staff is going to think that Nick Mullins gives them that potential ball security option because Brian Flores defense is playing lights out. They played lights out again on Monday night. They deserve to win that game. Uh, They just didn't get the final stop or the game changing takeaway, although they did get a couple key takeaways. They did, yeah. Um, in that game. But yeah, you lose the turnover battle four to two. Uh, You're just, you're not giving anybody a shot. And a rookie quarterback in Jaron Hall. You know, I liked what I saw from that first drive, but it, that would very much feel like a developmental choice of like, you know what, we're just going to see what we got and uh, not necessarily try to win uh, every game. Yeah. Let's talk about the defense real quick before we get out of here. Like you said, they they had they made some big plays. They kept the Bears out of the end zone, even on a lot of those long time consuming drives and you know, the Bears miss a field goal on the opening drive. After that one stalls, they you know make another couple field goals. They don't they don't score a touchdown like. No, Denver didn't have a touchdown until that final drive either. And that's unfortunate because in both these games, the defense does have a chance to 
put a final stamp on things and win the game, even if they had kept them in the game for 58 minutes in both those cases, we kind of get a little negative because they, you know, they gave up that touchdown to the Broncos. They gave up the game winning field goal to the bears, but by and large, the defense is the only reason they were staying close in this game. It was. And I thought Daniel Hunter had another great game. This is coming a couple weeks after Brian Flores said he thought the Falcons game was his best game of the season. Um, he has just continued to get better and better. And you saw him wreck a lot of plays. It's just Justin Fields is so hard to catch. And um, I think on that last 30 some yard pass that set up the the game losing field goal, the Vikings sent just four. It was yeah. actually one of the times that Brian Flores didn't send the house in a key situation. If you remember the fourth and 10 earlier in the game, he sent a zero blitz, uh, just everybody. And and Cole Komet just barely got out for a little dump off uh, for the conversion. But this time, Flores sat back, tried to play some coverage. They couldn't get there with their four-man rush because as we all know, Daniel Hunter is about the only guy in that four-man rush who is reliable every single week. So it was an interesting choice, kind of swung back against his tendency uh, in terms of what defense they played in that spot, and their coverage didn't hold up. And, and it was a tough call, too. The in-breaking route underneath a, a deep kind of shell coverage, um, Anthony Barr said, you know, we'd like to, to see that. Uh, covered better, but also, you know, with a guy like that, in terms of fields, you want to disrupt him and get him off his spot, force him to run around, and then your coverage becomes uh, a little bit easier. So I think the Vikings played throughout that game very, very, very well um, and deserved to win, even regardless of that that final play. And we should mention guys like Cam Bynum making excellent plays. Josh Metellus still making excellent plays. I thought Ivan Pace played a good game as he well. Yeah. Um, and this is without Jordan Hicks. This is without a Caleb Evans. They played 18 different defenders in this game. Brian Flores is getting a lot of people involved, and I think you're seeing that development too kind of pay off. I agree. I mean, I've said this before. That's been consistently the better side of the ball this season, even when everybody was healthy on offense, even when they had Cousins, even when they had Jefferson early in the year. The defense has just been better, and that's without without as many resources being put into it. Yeah, it's it's incredible, too. And I think the key is, the as we said, the development of the younger guys, where we came into the season wondering who is going to step up. I mean, nobody expected Josh Metellus to do what he's doing. Um, nobody expected Ivan Pace to go from undrafted to, I saw he made a list of like ESPN's top players under 24. I'm like, what? Wow. Yeah. That's insane. And it's coming from respected guys, too, like former NFL players, Matt Bowen, who's, who's doing that analysis for them. So um, that means a lot. I mean, and this kid's doing a lot. And it's those types of players. It was a Caleb Evans through 10 starts who was playing pretty well for them, too. And when he comes back after the bye, um, that will help a lot. So I, I think you got to credit, obviously, the coaching staff, but they've got some young players who are taking some big steps. Well, we'll see where they see where those steps lead them. We'll see who's under center in two weeks. We'll take a little break here because there's a bye week and Andrew will talk again in a couple weeks. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. Let's do some poetry today on daily delivery. My good friend, Keith Rashad, I am told, sir, that you have four Vikings-related haikus. I guess uh, one for every field goal the Bears kicked to beat the Vikings on uh, on Monday night. It's all about symbolism when it comes to poetry. Yep. Each haiku is a field goal. Um, let's get right into it. Why don't you give me haiku number one, please? Look to the heavens. That's where that pass was going. He was lost in space. Which pass? Which pass? There's a lot of them that were up in the heavens. Well, that's why all you got to do is look to the heavens. Because <laughs> they're all shooting around out there. 
Yeah, the the pastor not did not have his greatest game, did he? Uh no. No, he did not. It um my deep and abiding love for Josh Dobbs has waned significantly. <laughs> it seems like it was maybe more of a fling than a long-term relationship with Josh Dobbs. It's starting to feel that way. Starting to feel the the shine has worn off, as it were. Um she's she's not as pretty. Uh, in the daylight as she was um, last night. Yeah, he uh, it wasn't a great sign that Kevin O'Connell wouldn't commit to him being the starter after the bye based on that performance. Well, so that raises a question, it, and it's sort of troubling, right? Which is, how much is O'Connell to blame for this? Like, I think you know, yeah, some. Because four interceptions is just bad. It's yes. just bad. Two of them were deflections, though, right? right? Right. And maybe not the world's greatest passes, but still things should have happened. But there were other things that happened in that game, right? There, the thing with O'Connell is when you measure up, when you tally it all up, right, you put it in the good column, the bad column, there's still yes. more in the good column than there is in the bad column. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. But the way that his offense stalls out during mm-hmm. the course of games regularly, even, even with cousins, even with cousins, exactly. It's it happened last year. Yes, it would be it would be a great start to the game. Yep, nothing for two and a half quarters, and then a furious fourth quarter rally or come right. back to win. Right, and so to what extent is he putting this guy? who seems to be better when he doesn't think about things or doesn't yes. have a chance to really yes. uh, process. Even know? though he's a very smart quarterback, he seems to be better when you kind of give him a limited menu and say, okay, go use your talent. Go tell me what you're good at instead of trying to give him everything you've got. Well, he's a very smart human being. Yes. Whether yes. or not he's a smart quarterback sure. is kind yeah. of the point. There's two different. There's two different things. You're right. Okay, give me the second haiku because I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of these things along uh, the way. Yes. <clears throat> Go for it on fourth. Cousins could have made that throw short of the marker. I did not understand. Fourth and seven from midfield in the third quarter when in a 3-3 game when everyone's having a hard time scoring points. Like, I did not get that. Like, I, he's been hearing it from people like, you're not aggressive enough, you're not aggressive enough. I feel like it was like, it was like, oh, I'll show you. I'll go for I'll go for it from fourth and seven with an offense that's done absolutely nothing with a quarterback I don't seem to trust and just hand the Bears three points. Yeah. So as we were just talking about how much blame is put on O'Connell's shoulders, who really has rallied the the group, as it yes. were, and kept them in it when it's a very tough season and there have been a lot of challenges. And again, uh, is well, we'll we'll get to where he ranks on on, on coaches on the on this team later. Yeah. Another haiku, <laughs> uh-huh. but uh, it, that did not seem like the right place and time. No, to, to do that, and that's the thing. He like is a as a motivator, as a manager of the overall situation, and as a as an offensive mind, I, he's above average as a game manager whether it's play calls or game feel, he's mediocre at best. Well, is he, is, 
but how how good is he in terms of putting a, a game plan together too right because again what, it yeah. seems like it seems like they have stretches where they're really good often sometimes early in the game and then they then they then they have success or have had success late in the game when you have to kind of throw everything against the wall or uh, but when it comes to sort of mixing and matching and figuring out where your strengths lie and mm-hmm. how to play against the other team's strengths and the other team's weaknesses they don't seem to be doing a very good job of that i agree i agree i've i've been unimpressed with that part of kevin o'connell which you would imagine would be his strength as an offensive guy Baiku 3, please. It's not a good sign when the most dynamic plays are all penalties. <laughs> they did benefit from some fortune, especially in that first half when like nothing was going right. They got some things to go their way with the penalties. And then what, like there was a pass interference that got him down. There was like a yeah, the, the Bears, the Bears did everything they could, and the refs help them too along the way did did everything they could to keep them in the game and you know they had the chance they were they were, they were up 10-9 with the ball in bears territory with 3 minutes left like they still you you could say they deserve to lose that game but at that point they should have won that game and they didn't no and you know i don't i don't know this is probably not accurate but it feels like they gained more yards on Bears penalties than they did from their own offense. Yeah, that, that is not accurate. They gained like two hundred and like two hundred and seventy yards or something. They they eventually gained some yards. Well, but if you take out that one touchdown drive, right? It, then it was more like two hundred. Yeah, but it, yeah. It was, yeah, they were they were not good, and anything that got going felt like it bogged down with a turnover or something weird happened, or they turned it over on downs or something like that. Like any anytime they had something going. But you're right. The Bears are not good. That's the frustrating thing. Like, the Bears are so bad. Like, they didn't let Justin Fields, aside from, like, a couple times, they didn't let him throw the ball more than, like, three feet. It was like, Justin, throw it to that guy standing very close to you, like a long handoff. Throw it to that guy. What? Don't do anything too complicated. So here's here's my question for you, then. Okay. Which quarterback looked more scared and discombobulated during the course of that game? I mean, it was definitely Dobbs, but Fields did was his it? best. Yeah, well, Fields did his best to give it away. Like those two fourth quarter fumbles, like that basically got the Vikings back in the game. Like the Bears are driving for a score. They're up nine three. It's like third down. Like the announcer said it right. It was like the only thing you can't do there is turn the ball over and he fumbles. And then they're, you know, they're driving again and he fumbles again. Like Metellus made good plays on both those things, but I thought Fields did more good things than Dobbs did and looked more comfortable than Dobbs did in that game. But neither well, one of them looked particularly comfortable. Well, he may have done, he may have turned the ball over less, but yeah. it was so embarrassing to watch. She's exactly right. Nothing more than long handoffs. He yeah. threw what seemed like one good pass downfield in that final drive to get him yes. into field goal range. Yes. And otherwise it was, I'm getting this ball to whoever I can as soon as I can, because yeah. I do not want to touch right. this thing anymore. No. I, am, I am done holding on to this ball, giving me all of this responsibility as quarterback and having me hold this ball all this time is not good, not what you want. So I'm just going to fling it to the closest guy I can and forget about it. That also, though, is what the Flores defense will give you is the kind of quick hits. You want to get away from the pressure, away from having to 
think too much about are they dropping are they are they you know are they blitzing like the best way to beat that is those quick throws but yeah it it doesn't really work if you're you know bogging down turning it over having to kick field goals all the time but you know they've they've held you know they've basically held teams down until the very end in these last two games well let's get to number four let's do that then good most of the game not good enough in the end was zimmer coaching (laughs) it was very zimmer-esque endings wasn't it not not like 2015 zimmer when you could count on the defense to make those plays but like 2021 2020 uh, 2020 2021 zimmer defenses where he wanted them to be the heroes so bad but they had no longer they had they didn't have the personnel anymore and it was just it was just chaos at the end when they tried to have the defense make those plays brian flores is the best coach on the staff and it's going to be sad and wrong. And it's going to feel a little bit, it's not an exact parallel, but it's going to feel a little bit like when Mike Tomlin left and uh, Brad Childress was still the head coach. Right. O'Connell's, I think O'Connell's got more upside than Childress did. Although Childress, you know, by the time he, Childress got them very close to a Super Bowl. We will say that he got them very close to a Super Bowl. If he, if, (laughs) if Brad Childress's team, had, just like last night, had only given up four turnovers <laughs> instead of five, they yes. would have made to the Super Bowl yes. and they would have won that year. Yes. If it was only four, they would have won. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, uh, and I'm not, like I said, the parallel is not yeah. perfect. I get it. O'Connell, no, I get it though. Yeah. But Brian Flores is the best coach and it's going to be sad when he inevitably leaves. I don't want to think about this team without Brian Flores because they would be four and eight right now without Brian Flores. If they if they had a, if they had a defensive court, if they that, still had... that optimistic are you? <laughs> I mean, I mean, think about if they'd think about if O'Connell's like, you know what, um, you know, Ed Donatel had a rough first year, but I'm going to stick with him for a second year. Like, imagine if Ed Donatel was the defensive coordinator this year, they'd be they'd be in the tank right now. You see, it's the it's that hostile speculation like that. That is why everybody's so angry at the media nowadays. And you're just throwing out your 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 cruel takes about Ed Donatel still being around for another year. I, I have lingered a little bit long on the Ed Donatel harshness, but I mean, it's, it's also just a way of saying that I've been really impressed with Flores. They put a lot on him this year, and I thought, man, they're asking him to do a lot with not that much, and he has done more than I could have imagined. I miss him already. Obviously, the film review and poetry uh, today leaned heavily on the quarterback question. That brings me to the cooler. Um, we got a full-blown quarterback controversy, both the Vikings and the Gophers. We don't know who their quarterback is going to be the next time they play a game, and that is an interesting place to be given where we went into the season with both these teams. Kirk Cousins, the bona fide starter coming in. Ethan Kalikman is the bona fide starter. Now the Vikings could turn potentially to their fourth starting quarterback this year. Think about it. Um, Kirk Cousins started the year, played most of the games. He got hurt. Um, Nick Mullins was already on IR, so Jaron Hall started that game against Atlanta. Um, Joshua Dobbs has started the last three. They could certainly turn to Mullins after the bye. I don't think that's what I would do. I think that's boring. I think it's a boring decision. I think it maybe is the decision that helps you get to 9-8 and eight or something like that and make the playoffs, but you're going nowhere in the postseason if you don't have a dynamic quarterback. Josh Dobbs is your most most dynamic quarterback. Can 
Kevin O'Connell live with his mistakes, though. Eight turnovers in four games. That is not winning football. I get it. That's not a winning formula. But he also has eight touchdowns in those four games, five passing, three rushing. Can he live with that roller coaster? That is the question I want to know. Sounds like he has a hard time with it based on some of the things he was saying Monday, saying you've got to limit those mistakes, and I get that. You want to play the quarterback that gives you the best chance to win. Complimentary football, Justin Jefferson coming back, who can get him the ball. If you're reading between the lines, maybe he's thinking of a switch to Nick Mullins, but they're going to take some time to evaluate all this. I'd stay with Dobbs. I really would. Maybe at least at least for part of one more game. If it's a disaster like it was for some of that uh, some of that game against Chicago, I get it. But give him a better game plan. Give him one more chance. See if you can keep kind of getting that lightning in a bottle because you have no chance in the playoffs if you don't have some kind of dynamic quarterback. I know the defense is playing well, but a good offense will find a way to score against that defense. A good playoff team will, will pick them apart at some point. I just don't like the matchup unless you have a dynamic quarterback. We'll see, though. It is a question for another time. It's a question we used to have to solve a lot in the 80s and 90s. Who's the Vikings quarterback? A little bit in the 2000s when it was you know, Tavares Jackson, Gus Farratt, Kelly Holcomb before you know Favre got here. We did some of that a little bit later, too. But since Kirk Cousins got here, it has been... You know, one guy, one guy only, really, until this year. So this is a different feeling, and I'll be curious to see what Kevin O'Connell ultimately decides to do. That'll do it for me today. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out of here right now. Jeff Day will join me on Thursday's podcast to talk gopher volleyball. I think Chip Scoggins will be on with me Friday to talk about some of these same things we just talked about now, but maybe more in-depth with the Gophers with the Vikings' decisions, with some of what's going on with the Wild and Wolves, and other things beyond that. Until then, have a great rest of your Wednesday. Back at it again tomorrow.